and I made it to my home place. I found triumph of the will, where once lay a shining city, stood a fortress on a My name is Henry, and I'd like to welcome you to Fortress on a Hill. My co-hosts and I are a group of leftist American veterans who scour the news headlines looking for stories related to the military and veteran communities of the U.S. But you're not going to hear most of the typical military tropes here. Here we take those same stories and we clear out some of the cobwebs and bullshit. We ask hard questions of our leaders and demand an end to the militarism that has permeated our society. We have a military budget of $750 billion, three times more than China, and seven times more than Russia. While here at home, American infrastructure and domestic policy languish, especially in the era of Donald Trump. However, Big Don is only the latest in a long line of presidential warmongers and bastards. Our country has lost enough to regime change and military operations the world over, Operations that, by and large, only take innocent lives or providing no real protection from threats to our country. Afghanistan, Iraq, Syria, Yemen, Somalia, Niger, and the list goes on. It's time for a change. Thank you for being with us. I'd like to make a couple of quick announcements before we get started today. Um, one of our co-hosts, BT, is going to be parting ways with the podcast. I just want to say that I, I can't thank him enough for being my sounding board on all things the podcast as well as some other stuff, in addition to being a really great friend. And everyone here, we all, we all wish him the very best. And speaking of co-hosts, I'd like to welcome Kagan Miller as our new co-host. Kagan is a Navy veteran who worked as an intelligence analyst in the Navy and after that, the National Security Agency. I'm really excited to have his input on the podcast. And now, let's talk about Iran. Good morning, listeners. We're going to have a, as in-depth as we possibly can make today discussion on Iran. But before we get into that, I have a couple real short headlines that I wanted to, to put out just so everybody's in the know. Um, the first thing is, as of this morning, Chelsea Manning is back behind bars. Um, it seems to be coinciding with the new grand jury that's going on uh, with uh, Julian Assange. But the one caveat to that is she's now being fined $500 a day for the next 60 days and $1,000 a day for every day past 60 days. So uh, it, 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 it's supremely fucked up. I, don't, I, I can't really describe it in any other way. Yeah. Um, well, the war, the war on whistle blowers continues in america yeah. right the war on whistleblowers that has that has always been ongoing that really ramped up under barack obama right that great liberal uh big time ramping up the war against whistleblowers and and the trump administration i mean is only going to take it further you know whistleblowing should be mostly heroic this is my thought on this look some whistleblowing is good some whistleblowing is problematic right but the, the goat, if you're not sure how to feel about a whistleblower, the, the default mode should be to support them, right? The default mode should be hero until proven otherwise. And, and, and what we do is the exact opposite. You're guilty until proven innocent. Yep. 
I think there's a lot of people that think that disclosing classified information is somehow, yeah, they automatically think that it's bad, right? So the that's the default for a lot of people, but so many people don't understand how much goes into somebody making that decision. Like it's a decision that nobody makes lightly. Absolutely. Well, it's, I mean, the, you know, for years and years, you end up signing, you know, non-disclosure agreements and all kinds of other stuff that I'm sure, Kagan, I'm sure you had to, to work through. But you're yes. reminded on an almost daily basis, if not a daily basis, that if you share this information, you're fucked. Yeah. So, and we couldn't even look at like WikiLeaks or anything because they, and, and you, yeah, you talked about this before, Danny, about how you can't look at stuff that potentially has classified information because it may be, you know, you're do you're looking at it without authorization. Mm-hmm. So it's it's really annoying because anybody who makes that decision has gone through a litany of questions in their head about why they would do that, and they made the decision that it was better for them to do that than to stay silent and be willing so, to take the punishment. Yeah, they they deserve to be lauded for their decision. Absolutely. And I mean, they're martyring Chelsea Manning right now. I mean, Chelsea Manning is the perfect target for the Trumpites, right? The perfect villain, right? She's trans, right? Um, She is a a former soldier who became a dissident, right? She's active in a number of causes now. She's really a a figure of the left now, I think you could say fairly, right? She's the perfect Mm -hmm. target, perfect vulnerable target for the, the Trumpites who hate everything she is. And everybody liked her. And they can't say that outright, but they use Chelsea Manning as a target, right? And, and, and I really do see her being martyred. The problem is not enough Americans think that to form a strong enough movement for her release. You're right. And, and a lot of people don't really understand the, that, that so many things are overclassified, that it, basically because it makes people look good, or some people won't even listen to it unless it's classified at a certain level. And mm-hmm. it's, it just, you know, we've created this culture of just overclassification. So everyone thinks, oh, if it's at this level, then that must be right. But that's patently not true. Yeah, there's, there's, uh, there's a lot of issues with the, our classification system and how it controls information and, prevents uh, Chelsea from living her life, from, from just being a person, being able to be a staple of the left, as you mentioned, Danny, to, to be in, in, in her new life. And, and the thing that I keep thinking about is how long is she going to have to do this? Is she going to, is this going to continue? Is it, is the fines going to get longer and the time in jail longer? Is, I mean, at, at what point are they done torturing her? Maybe never. I mean, we have to re- we have to really consider the possibility that the answer is never. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. All right. Um, so the other uh, the other headline I wanted to mention, and this is very much in the vein of the of the first headline, but something that we'll come back to later in more detail, is about the uh, the arrest of Daniel Hale. Um, Hale is to believe believed to be the whistleblower that helped. Jeremy Scahill at the intercept with his uh, book, The Assassination Complex, um, mm-hmm. 
we we don't have any specifics on what what is true or isn't about Daniel Hill, other than that the Obama administration investigated him and chose not to charge him. And again, like you mentioned, Danny, now we're back at Trump whistleblower 2.0. Yeah, they're taking a second crack at this guy, right? I mean, that's that's what's going on. Yeah. As part of the war, as part of the war they're waging internally. It's a domestic war. It's a war on the people. Yeah. The the hard thing with him, I mean, and I, yeah, next time we'll, we'll talk more about this in general, but I think for me it was really frustrating because a lot of what he talked about was stuff that I, you know, had seen in my work. And in the, in, in the book, there's actually talks, there's actually points, you know, he, he has briefs and stuff in the, um, in the book. And that's, you know, stuff that I had seen and worked on. And I don't know, I just feel really bad for him because he looked at what was going on and he, again, made the decision, not lightly, to say, hey, this is messed up. And actually, I need to tell somebody uh, about it. He, he actually said it. He said that he knew that eventually they would come to, to, to go after him. And I didn't know this, but I found out on her meeting on Wednesday, Danny, that Daniel is a member of About Face, too. Um, oh really? Yeah, no, I didn't know that. So maybe at some point in the future, we'll actually get to to meet him and chat him up a little bit. But um, so those guys are monitoring this this very closely, and um, like we mentioned, we'll uh, we'll circle back to it and talk about it in, in much more detail because this is a much much bigger story than uh, we have time for today. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Danny, let's, let's well, the, uh, yeah, the big. The big story. Look, I, I don't want, I don't want to be alarmist. And everyone who listens to the show knows I get fairly uh, intense at times. But like, not crying wolf here. This impending, potentially impending war with Iran is the story, the only story that matters right now. Fuck the Mueller report. Fuck fucking reality TV. Or and I mean, these stories pale in comparison to the report we received early this week that John Bolton essentially asked the Department of Defense for new, more ramped-up military options in order to strike Iran, which is what John Bolton has wanted more than anything in the world since he's been in public life, which is, unfortunately, a long time. Um, The report says that the military came up with a 120,000-troop deployment option. Okay, that's in addition to what's in the Middle East. Okay, so take a a fourth of the army, right, a little less because there'll be Marines and and sailors and stuff, and you you just drop them in in the Persian Gulf. Uh, presumably as a strike force uh, against Iran. So that's the story. Now, you know, we haven't, Trump hasn't come out and said he's definitely going to do this. But what we do know is that the Pompeos and the Boltons and the other recycled neocons, as I've called them, okay, I mean, they're out out for a rock war, what is it, 4.0 at this point? I mean, how many Persian Gulf Wars have we fought? How many fucking Persian Gulf Wars have we fought? First, we fought the tanker war, right, during the mid-'80s when we were kind of refereeing between Kuwait and Iran and all that. So that was considered the first one. We actually sunk most of the Iranian Navy, right, without a declaration of war. Um, mm-hmm. The Iranians haven't forgotten that, by the way. Not a single American appears to know that we fought a major naval battle, one of the more major naval battles since World War II that the United States Navy has fought, like ship on ship. And we just wiped out the little bit of Navy they had at the time. So they haven't forgotten. That's, that's Gulf War I. Gulf War II, 1990, Iraq, Saddam, Kuwait, right? That's a fun one. Uh, Gulf War III, the, mo- the stupidest American foreign policy action of the 21st century, if not of the 20th and 21st century, although it's got good company with Vietnam, which was Iraq War 3.0, regime change, operation, euphemism, Iraqi freedom, right? 
And then Persian Gulf War 4.0 is the anti-ISIS battle. It's, you know, we stay out of Iraq for three years, barely, not even, and then we're right back there. So that's ongoing. So you got like Iraq War slash Persian Gulf War 4.0. This would be Persian Gulf 5.0. And, uh, and all of this has happened since, you know, between like 1986 and today. That's a lot of wars in a single place, you know? We haven't put a fucking soldier in the Congo, but four million people have died there in, the, in those ongoing wars since 98, right? So, you know, it's very interesting to see where we fight. And if people say that oil is not a part of it, that they're missing something. It's not direct because we don't need the oil anymore, but it's about the flow and the control of the flow and our allies. So this is a big deal. And, and ever so briefly, because I, I want to get everyone's voice and there's like four different things we want to cover. But, the, you know, the first one is why this is unnecessary. Okay. I, I, I like to say this, this is the three eyes. Okay. The Iran war or if a war with Iran would be three important capital eyes. Okay. Ill-advised, irrational, immoral. Okay. Ill-advised, irrational, immoral. Ill-advised because we're going to talk more about this. 120,000 soldiers is not enough to conduct a full regime. change. It may not even be enough to pacify all of Iraq's defensive capabilities, all of Iran's defense capabilities. Uh, it's going to it's going to shut down the Straits of Hormuz. Who knows how long? Uh, it might bring uh, other global powers in into the fight. I mean, potentially Russia and China. I don't, I don't think they'll fight a major war over it, but you never know. Uh, it's definitely going to potentially have some global ramifications. And uh, and we might get a bloody nose, as we'll talk about later. I mean, we have vulnerabilities to mm-hmm. these a you know a two a d right area access area denial right. So we'll get to that. All right. So ill-advised, irrational, irrational because there's no outcome. There's no reward that's worth the risk. A rational decision is I will take the risk of A, in this case, war with Iran, right, in order to achieve B. What's the thing we achieve? They're already not pursuing nuclear weapons in any real sense. We pulled out of the deal that was working, that our own intelligence cell side was working, right? And so what is the outcome? Even if we march to Tehran and get ourselves bogged into a 50-year insurgency, which is what would happen, and we'll talk about that, what's the, what's the outcome? Maybe one of you guys can tell me when, when I'm done, because I just have one more point, and then I want to know what you guys think, because, I mean, maybe I'm missing I, You know, I like to get in other people's shoes. I like to sit in Iran's shoes. We're going to do that later. But, like, there's this one guy I can't get in his shoes. I can't get in this motherfucker's head, and it's John Bolton. <laughs> I don't know what he thinks. I don't know what he thinks this, this outcome is. So that's irrational. Last I, immoral. We don't talk about morals a lot in American foreign policy anymore. How could we? We back a, a, a troika of tyranny, right? And oh, I know John Bolton said the troika of tyranny is Venezuela, Cuba, and Nicaragua. Yeah, that's fucking absurd nonsense. The real troika, troika of tyranny is in the Middle East, and all three of them are allied with us. Apartheid Israel, military dictatorship Egypt, and fucking absolute monarchy Saudi Arabia. So even mentioning morals in the American calculus of foreign policy has lost a lot of its meaning, but I think it still matters. It is immoral because we would be raining death and destruction on inevitably civilians, okay? A certain percentage of the people who die are going to be civilians. And there is no reason for it. In other words, we would be wasting life in a, in a, in a realpolitik sort of just like global struggle for hegemony. That's, I mean, that's it. And, and that's just not worth a human life. Look, a baby will die. Hundreds of babies will die. Morals require that you ask the question, 
is this worth it? Is there some outcome that gets back to the irrational? Is there some outcome that makes this moral? You know, I mean, it's, I, I know I'm speaking in a very utilitarian sense. But I think there's value in that. Like World War II, I think it was wrong to firebomb cities. I, I really do. And as a historian, it appalls me. As an American, it appalls me. But I'm willing to debate someone on that because someone could at least fire back a utilitarian calculus of, yes, we killed you know, 600,000 Germans, including many women and children, but the Nazis needed to be defeated, right? Now I think there are ways to defeat them without burning their cities. To, but, but we can have an argument, and I can respect the other person's argument. So here we are, um, you know, ill-advised, irrational, immoral. That's my initial thought on why this war is unnecessary. Uh, well, yeah, I absolutely agree. I mean, the vulnerabilities that we face are you know mostly about our big decks that are on in the as far as the naval side like the carriers are really bad at defense like they don't really have that much defense and iran has been doing defensive um exercises every year the the iranian navy the regular navy has a big exercise called veliat every single year and it's a three-day exercise, and they spend a lot of time, do, like, defending against our capabilities. And it ends with this giant uh, exercise where they take down a carrier using these small little speedboats and their um, some of their other smaller vessels that they have. And they're pretty. They've been pretty successful with this exercise. They've been doing it for years and years. And then they also recently, the IRGC, um, the Iranian Revolutionary Guard Corps, has been doing this offensive exercise called Great Prophet. And this last one that they just did in December was the first time that they used drones um, as you know ISR um, intelligence surveillance and reconnaissance drones, and uh, also with the ability to have um, to do uh, to have like kinetic ability on some of their drones. So it's not, uh, they, they're preparing, they've been preparing for a U.S. fight for a long time. And for us to just try to go in and think, oh, maybe this would be another Iraq is just absolutely foolish because we would undoubtedly get a bloody nose more than one. And also, you know, they've been practicing mining the Strait of Hormuz for years, and they can do it rather quickly. And if they mine the Strait of Hormuz, like, I forget how much, how much percentage of oil comes from the Persian Gulf, but it's a significant portion. So if they mine the Strait, bye-bye Persian Gulf oil. And the entire world would just be like, like, we would have a really bad economic downturn from losing all of that oil. And not to mention the fact that our ships are woefully unprepared to deal with mines. And we only have about a couple of different minesweeper ships and they're old and they don't really work very well. And, you know, it would not be this quick, clean, easy fight that everyone thinks, or at least that John Bolton seems to think is going to happen. I don't, I don't think John Bolton considers those kind of things, but I, uh, I keyed up on, on a lot of the language in, in reading different stuff. One one article had some State Department lackey talking about Iranians, you know, lie, cheat, cheating, and stealing. You know, the, the 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 classic slurs that we we put in those in those places just to make people seem a little shittier. Um, Danny, I, I I saw that they had talked about that the Bolton plan was 
more about squeezing the Iranians as opposed to invading them. We know that an invasion force, 120,000 guys, isn't going to do it. But what, what's the, uh, what do you think about this whole squeeze strategy that Bolton's come up with? Danny? Sorry about that. We, oh. uh, we already have been in a squeeze strategy economically. I mean, we have cranked up the sanctions on Iranian oil to such an extent that inflation is going out of control over there. Um, people are, are, are suffering. Okay. So again, we have to talk about the moral calculus of that, right? If we really think it'll bring the regime down, maybe we could argue that it's a good thing. Although I don't think we should be in the business of telling people, uh, what to do with their regimes. I think we should be in the business of being a beacon for the world and showing them what good looks like and then hopefully they model it um squeezing with 120,000 soldiers sailors airmen marines i mean i don't think you send 120,000 soldiers there without the intent on striking targets and so when you say squeeze i think you know squeeze and then clamp down a little with some kinetic strikes yeah so i think we're talking about probably putting what's what what a, the iranian navy under the sea again okay putting them at the ocean floor probably striking key strategic targets, right? So now think, think Kosovo, right? Think radio stations are going out. IRGC headquarters buildings are going out all around the country. Tehran's going to take bombs, right? And, and civilians will die. This is, this is me speculating on what a squeeze strategy would be. Okay. Um, I have to believe that even John Bolton doesn't think that 120,000 soldiers can take Iran, which is what, three times the size of Iraq, 80 million people versus like 25 million people. I mean, Fiercely nationalistic, wildly mountainous. Uh, you know, we're we're jumping ahead and and going to like the third point we're going to talk about. Let's do it now. I mean, because because uh, Kagan does such a good job with it. Like, let's talk about the bloody nose. And and, and I'm just going to tell my one story that I talk about on the radio a lot, which is in 2002, way back in 2002. The military ran a war game called Operation Millennium Challenge. Right, Google it, folks. And there was this Marine Corps general who was put in charge of the red team. He was a retired lieutenant general. I think his name was Paul Von Ripper. I, I'm not sure if my first name's right. Really decorated Vietnam vet Marine. And he's a really smart guy. He was known for being smart. So they said, hey, you know, come out of retirement or, or, you know, as a job in addition to that in retirement, play the Iranians and play it tough. Like, you know, and, and, we'll, and we'll see if we, you know, we'll, you counter us. So the motherfucker, even in 02, long before Iran had quite as many missiles as they have now, long before Iran had quite as many mine speedboats as they do now, he essentially did this like swarm strategy that Kagan discussed. So the, the first thing he did was mine and close the straits, okay? Because that's their doomsday card. Yep. Iran, that's all they've got. They don't have a nuke, right? So their doomsday strategy is, I fuck, I fuck the world on oil. And they're hoping that that's enough of a deterrent that they don't get invaded. I mean, it's really sad that countries have to come up with doomsday scenarios to avoid being invaded by Uncle Sam. It's just, it's just so immoral and so crazy yeah, that we live in a country that. that people are afraid of. But then after he dropped in the mines, he started flying surface to surface, although using them against ships, surface to ship missiles, right? Uh, yeah, hitting several of our larger decks. And then finally swarming with uh, patrol boats, some of which are suicide patrol boats packed with explosives. And in this war game, he fucking, he totally squashed the plans of the Americans on day one. Like, he, I mean, he didn't, like, win the war for Iran, but he gave the Americans in the, in the game such a bloody nose that, like, they couldn't get troops on the ground on day one. Like, this was supposed to be, like, a massive invasion. 
And so here's the thing that's interesting. Number one, it validates your point, Kagan, and it, and it probably with 18 more years, right, or 16 more years of prep, they're probably even more prepared now. But the second point is this is what the military did, and it's so fucking Pentagon to do what they did. You know what they said? We don't like the outcome of that. <laughs> they canceled they canceled the mission. They reset it and they and they ordered Von Ripper to play nicer, not not to, not to play so hard. And they reran the game. I think he re- I think he refused. I'm not sure if he refused or if he just like begrudgingly went along. I have to check an article on it. I wrote about this a long time ago, but they just reset the game. They were like we didn't win, so we'll change the rules. That's so Pentagon, right? Cuz every you know, you can't end a mission, in, you know, a training mission until you've Got to go, right? So you got to green, so you got to pass, you know, rather than actually learning from failure, right? And accepting some failure and being like, wow, we really got to work this. Let's do this game again in six months. No, <laughs> they just fucking, they just did what the Pentagon does and they fucking just put a little guild, right? Put a little fool's gold around the, uh, the fucking turd of shit. But yeah, I think this is a real possibility that we get hurt in the first few days or weeks of this war. Well, and they also have some really nasty, uh, service to service missiles that have been around for a while called sunburns and they just have a crazy uh path you know when they get when they get to terminal velocity they start going all over the place and they're really hard for uh systems to track especially seawiz which is the little you know in the navy we used to call it r2t r2d2 with a dick uh the little gun <laughs> and you know they can only tear track stuff like a mile out and so if if it hits terminal velocity and it starts zigzagging like it does, you know, it can do some serious, serious damage. And they have them in most of their bases and most of their little islands where their uh, missile batteries are. Uh, you know, we, it's just not even, it's not even consequent, like uh, a real idea that we wouldn't be able to that we would get out of it without having serious damage to any ship that's in the strait. And right across the, the, the Gulf, you know, we've got fifth fleet headquarters and we've got CENTCOM headquarters. So even if they, you know, managed to get a couple plans over, they could do some serious damage to some of our major facilities. Guys and I love doing the podcast. Being able to share our experiences in the military with allies and supporters means the world to us. But we can't do all the work. We need you to share an episode of ours with someone. Anyone who you think might be affected by it. Maybe a a young person looking to join the military or parents advocating for one. uh, Conscientious citizens who care about the violence the U.S. wages in their name. Advocates for women and people of color who understand the harsh environment that the military creates for minorities and inflicts on them around the globe. And anyone else you think it might affect, please take a moment and share this with them. Now, our podcast is supported in a few different ways. First, there's Patreon, where we're very blessed to have an array of wonderful supporters helping the guys and I pay for some of the podcast expenses. 
Those who contribute $10 a month or more will be mentioned here as an honorary producer, helping keep you, our listeners, stocked with new episodes. But you don't have to contribute $10 a month to help us. For as little as a dollar a month, you can keep us going, paying for hosting and storage fees, transcribing old and new episodes, promoting and expanding the podcast, and more I probably can't think of right now. So let's bring out our honorary producers, and they are Matthew Ho, Will Arenz, Gage Counts, Fahim Shirazi, Henry Zamoda, James Higgins, James O'Barr, Adam Bellows, Eric Phillips, Paul Appel, Julie Dupree, and Matt the Virgin Slayer. Your contributions are wonderfully helpful to us. Thank you so much. However, if you'd like to contribute and Patreon isn't your style, you can contribute directly to us through PayPal at paypal.me forward slash Fortress on a Hill. Or check out our store on Spreadshirt. The great Bill Kropinski did a really awesome job making our first shirt, which you can find at shop.spreadshirt.com forward slash Fortress on a Hill. Make sure you check on the site there for promo codes before you order. And now, let's get back to the podcast. So, I, w- I wanted to take a quick moment and go through some of the recent uh, details that the media has been talking about as to why why we're doing this, why we're why uh, the carrier group got sent early, all that crap. Um, so. The UAE has had those claims about their tankers. We haven't seen any evidence so far, I don't think. Have you guys seen any pictures or video? I couldn't find any. Um, no, but can I just jump in for a oh, second? Sure. I just have a little like caveat to that. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sorry, I get these ideas. Uh, yeah, I never noticed that whenever we need to like drum up a war, like a fake war, like provide fake evidence for a war, it always involves a ship getting sunk, right? The fucking <laughs> main, the main goes to the bottom of the ocean, right, and fucking you know, Cuba, and we're like, well, now we got to fight a massive global war against Spain. Meanwhile, it was yep. like a fucking boiler explosion. Gulf yep. of Tonkin, like, maybe, maybe someone shot at one of our ships one day, but then we just made it up the next day and used that as the fucking, the, you know, reason or the justification for a war that kills 58,000 Americans and 2 million Vietnamese. And, like, here we are again. Like, it's the best way to start a war. Like, sink a ship, either through an accident or your own doing, like a false flag, and then you start a war. Okay, sorry, I just had a rant about that. Oh, no, it's all good. But we only do that with people that we like, right? So, because you mentioned in the 80s, the Iranian vessels that we sunk, we killed a lot of their destroyers. And they also damaged some of our ships, too. Like, people don't really know that. And also, Israel. Like, Israel destroyed one of our ships. And we didn't do anything because they're our friends. Really? Wow. Yeah, people don't really, like... Yeah, there's so much times, there's so many times when, you know, we've done an action or an action's been done to us and we've let it slide. But when it comes to a specific region or a specific country that we want to do some damage to, yeah. you know, we, we make something up or we make it out to be way bigger than it was. Just scratch our aircraft carrier and we fucking kill them. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah. it's, um, so the next, the next piece of evidence I saw was them t- discussing, pictures of small Iranian speedboats carrying cruise missiles. Now, ABC News listed this morning that a photograph of this has been declassified, but they haven't released it yet. So, who knows what the fuck that's worth. Um, they've talked. They've been doing of, that for a while. 
the uh, using the boats to move cruise, cruise missiles? Yeah, well, and they also have these small, like, basically like PT boats that they will actually launch uh, cruise missiles from, but it they're not super reliable because it's quite a big missile. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. they have the ability to do so. Even if they mess up the ship, you know, they could still launch one if they got really close. But even if they start showing us these pictures, you know, is that are are the Iranian troops on Iranian boats, and and we don't even know where the pictures from. You know, it could be right next to their harbors there, uh, or you know what what access they have to the Gulf. Um, so how do we? How do you even verify that? as to what, what it actually means of a picture of some guys in a boat with a cruise missile. Um, uh, the IRGC getting designated a terrorist organization. Danny, how long have the Iranians been out of the terrorism game? The last time that the, it depends how you define terrorism, right? You know, terrorism is a great word. I actually, like, if I was a dictator of the United States, like if I, if I was a benevolent dictator like Plato wanted, um, I would, I would, remove the term terrorism from the English language. It would be like taken out of the textbooks. It would just suddenly disappear from your dictionary because it is a useless term that is only used at this point to drum up fear and to drum up new wars, right? Yeah. To justify yeah. the killing of innocents. That's the only reason we use that word anymore, right? So yeah, uh, Iran. The last time they conducted like a terrorist act against an American target is maybe, they're not even sure of who was really responsible for it, maybe the Kobar Towers bombing in what, 94 or 6? They have been out of the terrorism game for quite some time. And they're on the travel ban list. And like everyone else on the travel ban list, there's no recorded attack of, on American soil by any of those countries, including Iran, since at least, I think the, the number is like 1965. So, I mean, it's a total lack of justification. It's a Muslim ban. You know, they don't want to say that. It's a Muslim ban. It's a ban of Muslims from countries we don't like. That's all it is. Muslims are welcome if they're from places we like, yeah. but not if they're from countries we don't like. So, yeah, they've been out of the terrorism game. And look, a lot of people will say, like, well, Hezbollah is a terrorist organization and Iran supports them. Well, Hezbollah hasn't done a suicide bombing in a really long time. They've transformed into more of a hybrid conventional military and a social movement that builds schools and feeds people. I mean, this is because, I mean, Hezbollah is a much more serious organization than it was in the 80s when it was conducting the early suicide bombings. So, yeah, I mean, I, I don't think Iran, first of all, and this goes to our second point of why we should be doing this diplomatically rather than militarily, Iran is not an existential or even a serious threat to the United States. I mean, I, I, will, I will fall on my sword arguing that. I mean, what, what's the threat exactly? What exactly are we scared of? So, yeah, I think Iran has mostly been out of the terrorism game. I think we have to stop using the word. Obviously, we still well on the show, so mainly to bash it. But, <laughs> yeah, that's what I think about that. So, uh, another, another point that they had thrown out there was that there was some shelling that occurred in Iraq that had hit... I don't know exactly how close to get. It didn't hit the embassy, but it was adjacent to the U.S. embassy in Baghdad and also to the U.S. mission down in Basra. Now, they claim that the munitions were specifically being fired to target U.S. diplomatic personnel and that that raise of, of, of fear was enough to qualify something bigger against Iran. But they also said that the same munitions that were used also targeted the Iranian embassy in Basra as well. So that's fucking worthless. <laughs> yeah. It, uh, 
And then the last one, and the, and this one is is really really further out there. That you know, John Bolton's been railing for months about Iranian proxy forces, and so as as I understood it, that could potentially mean that if we were to like uh, like the Houthis, like if 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 the Houthi were able to get a massive hit on Saudi Arabia, that that would be enough for us to go after Iran. It doesn't matter that none of the strings that we're looking at actually attach any of these fucking things together, but it's enough to say, okay, we're going to go do that. Well, I mean, and the intelligence on the whole Houthi-Iran uh, connection has been specious at best. It has, it has. And there's a lot of, the Houthis are a nationalist movement. They, they don't necessarily want to like, you know, have terrorist acts across the world. They want Yemen to be theirs yeah yeah and it's just really and so iran is doing that you know yeah of course to like if they were to be helping them it would be because saudi arabia is attacking them and it might it would give them a little more pr support in yemen but i don't know there there's just there's a lot of things that people are throwing out in the media and from the government that they just are claiming as fact when you know, it's not the the intelligence isn't there to support that claim, but we totally saw that back in two thousand three. Huh. I will never, ever, ever, ever again trust on its surface, trust, you know, intelligence that's used to drum up a regime change. I mean, I'm not saying I will never support a war ever. I think there are a few instances where it would be necessary. But um to me the long term lesson of Iraq war was never ever trust your government in foreign policy. Never, ever. Always, again, default mode on whistleblowers, assume they're right. Default mode on intelligence and regime change wars, assume it's a lie. You know, and I don't believe for a minute, I don't believe for a minute that they have any actual intel that justifies this deployment, potential deployment of 120,000 soldiers. No, no, there's, there's nothing I've seen that, that would justify that in any, in any case. And we know that John Bolton's had a hard on for this since you know forever. Forever. But, and he had that he had that speech, that MEK speech that he did before he was uh, a part of the administration, where he was saying to them, "I you know we better be um, we better be like set where this time in 2019 we'll be celebrating this conference in Tehran, like which yep. you know okay he's talking to a bunch of." people who are pro regime change, but at the same time, like we know the actions that he's taken have led us to this point. And like, that's his end goal. Uh, real quick on that, you know, the organization, one of the organizations that you're talking about that he speaks in front of is called uh, MEK. I don't, yeah. I don't remember what the acronym stands for. I want to talk about terrorists. Arguably these guys are terrorists. They fucking kill civilians, right? They're an anti, they're an anti-Iran kind of, I hate terror group, but insurgent group, guerrilla group. And they have conducted some horrifying bombings that have killed civilians. And yet he will go speak in front of them for a few hundred thousand dollars, you know? And uh, I don't know. It's, it's, it, it is, we're through the looking glass, folks. The ridiculous obtuseness and hypocrisy of American policy at this point is so is so much that there are days that I want to quit writing, grow a long beard, and just walk across Montana into fucking Canada. I mean that that's how 
upsetting this all is. I could talk about this for five hours, and I'm going to spare you and shut up for a minute. <laughs> they, they actually were a designated a terrorist organization before we took them off our list. So, you know, go figure with that. Very convenient. No, it's it's it's. Uh, it, it, I think a lot of us have been. And I, I know Danny. I know you and I have. A lot of us have been waiting for it. Have been waiting for the 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 stupid Bolton Ducks to be in a line and and to start charging us in this direction. And now that there's more serious movement in that way, it it it, it feels rather inescapable. I, mean, I don't I don't think that it is. And I hope that that. Trump sees it the same way, or whatever the hell he sees. Um, but it, it is—it's the—it's it, kind of the anti-war boogeyman, you know. It really—it's it, the—it's the one that people that, I mean, how how many guys did the three of us know in the service who wanted to go after Iran so bad? I couldn't tell you shit about Iran or even Iraq or wherever they happen to be, but by God, they wanted to go kill some Iranians. Well, Israel also has been a big push for this as well. And there was a couple of times when I was in, you know, that we were sure Israel was about to attack Iran. And and it didn't happen. But still, like the fact that they have constantly been on this footing and you know, they I mean, we we know that they've killed some of their nuclear scientists. Like, you know, they've done stuff to help prevent them from uh, from finding a bomb or like, but, the, but especially with Net, not Netanyahu's, you know, super right-wing governments, they're, they're thinking this is the time, you know, and, and Bolton is more than happy to be a part of that and Pompeo as well. Oh, oh you mentioned Netanyahu. Do you, do you mean assistant president of the United States, Benjamin <laughs> Netanyahu? Because on, on this show, uh, as you know, okay, and that's, that's how we refer to him because he apparently has more sway over American foreign policy than say, you know, Congress does. And yeah. it's just pitiful that we let ourselves, we let the American tail, uh, you know, we let the Israeli tail wag the big fucking American dog over and over. It's American blood for Israeli fucking, you know, benefit and interest. And it's horrifying. So, uh, is, is I, Danny, I think now's a good time for us to play our little game. Um, yeah, let's let's. Uh, oh, uh, real quick before we do that, I can I, I just want to do a, uh, I just want to do like a little other skit where what I'm going to do is I'm going to say, um, American meddling in Iran, a love story. Okay, <laughs> so <laughs> from their perspective, which we're going to do in a second, um, we haven't been so nice to Iran over the years. One might even think to themselves. Maybe they have a reason for burning the American flag in the streets and yelling death to America. I could think of some reasons, like military occupation of the southern half of Iran during World War II. Um, they weren't really asked about that, and then the Russians were in the north. That's why you shouldn't believe that like Russia and Iran are that tight. They are allies of convenience, folks. Iran is terrified of Russia. Russia has a history of invading northern Iran. They don't like the Russians. They are, they're just more scared of us. Hmm. They should be, by the way. Because Putin is less of a wild card than Trump. Fuck, Putin might be less of a wild card than Obama, but definitely Trump. Okay, and I don't like Putin. It's just I'm just telling the truth here. Sorry, the truth hurts and it's uncomfortable. Usually, the more uncomfortable you feel, the more likely that you're onto the truth. Okay, so after that, 1953, 
Iran is like independent now. You know, the troops have left and they elect uh, a democratically elect a, a quasi-socialist left of center prime minister named uh, Mossadegh. Right. He's wildly popular with the people. And he does what all everyone in Iran had always wanted. He nationalizes the oil. He says, why should this British company and this American company, mainly the British, you know, bear all the fruit of, of our resources? And the Iranian people are like day laborers at the oil wells and aren't benefiting from it at all. So he nationalizes the oil well. The West, capital W West, which just means fucking London and Washington, didn't like that very much. So we just sent the CIA and MI6 in and just overturned the government. Just fucking overturned the democratic election government because we didn't like Mossadegh. Mossadegh goes away. And who do we put in charge? A fucking king. Yeah. The beacon of American democracy put a king, which they call a Shah, right? Uh, just, just put him in charge. Reza Shah Pahlavi, I believe was his name. And for the intervening 26 years, he went on to terrorize the Iranian people in a dictatorship. Oh, uh, you know, the good old days when men were men and America was still putting tin pot dictators in charge of other countries and then saying we're still a democracy. Those <laughs> were the days. So then Iran has a revolution. And unfortunately, they go way over to the right on the revolution, way towards theocracy. I'm not a fan of that, but they take some hostages. Um, and we're like, why would they ever want to take hostages? And by the way, they didn't kill any. OK, like this whole hostage crisis was always overblown. I'm not saying it's fun to be a hostage, but like calm down they didn't kill anyone okay and the thing that's crazy is the way americans reacted to the iranian hostage crisis of 1979 to 1980 americans were just like oh my god why do they hate us just like they just like we did after 9-11 why do they hate us do they hate us for our freedoms (laughs) they hate us because we stole their oil fucking threw out their elected fucking prime minister and and put a king on top of them who fucking just terrorized his people. That's why they hate us. That's why they took hostages. So then in the 80s, when Iran was fighting an existential war, the bloodiest war uh, of the 20th century up to that point after World War One or World War II, okay, the, the bloodiest post-war war, uh, with Iraq, which Iraq had attacked them, right? Iraq was the aggressor. So we probably took Iran's side, right? <clears throat> no. America doesn't pick based on morals or international law. We pick based on the Cold War resources or whoever the fuck we happen to like that day. So we sent Don Rumsfeld. We sent Don Rumsfeld to Baghdad, and there's a really great picture you can Google of him like shaking Saddam's hand with a big smile. And a smile's a rare thing for Don Rumsfeld, but he <laughs> smiles for Saddam. And then we provide intelligence and munitions and all kinds of support to Iraq. And Iraq nearly destroys Iran in what was really an existential war. Oh, and during part of that time, we start reflagging Kuwaiti and UAE ships with the American flag so that, it, so that Iran couldn't attack them and close the straits. Since, like we said, that's their doomsday. That's their go-to, which is what they tried to do during the 80s. And so then we sent the U.S. Navy in and sunk whatever little bit of a navy the Iranians had, put it at the bottom of the sea. So there it is, you know, a very abbreviated version of America's meddling in Iran. A love story. Uh, I'd like I'd like to get your autograph on that, Danny, if I could. I, I, I don't know how we do <laughs> I'm that. I'm telling you, podcast. I should write it. <laughs> I should. I uh, I really should write that. Uh, maybe I'll make it like a, a children's. Yeah, book. Yeah, make it a kids' you know? book. Make it, <laughs> yeah, make it make it a pop up book. That'll make the, the the missiles seem more intimidating. You know. So the last thing I think we want to do today is play. Um, 
put ourselves in someone else's shoes. Americans don't like that. We're not good at it. We believe we're exceptional. Everything we do is good. We don't need to look at it from anyone else's perspective because the problem with their perspective is not the American perspective. I mean, the biggest problem with every Arab and every Muslim in the world is that they're not American. That's the big problem. I mean, at root, that's what these people think. That's what the majority of Americans, right? The center-right nation that we are, that is what the majority of Americans seem to believe. So here's what we're going to do. And it won't last very long. We'll see where it goes. But, uh, you know, Kagan and Henry are going to play America. And I'm going to play Iran, and they're just going to throw the usual arguments at me of why America might want to go to war with Iran or why uh, America hates Iran. And then I'll see if I have some maybe some rational answers that if you're willing to step out of your American shoes might make a little sense. So here goes. Okay. Uh, I think the biggest one that people are saying now is Iran – you know, was helping uh, forces in Syria against the people that we wanted to win. Great, great point. Unfortunately, guys, from Tehran, that looks a lot different. You see, Iran has always been allied with Syria. They're, they're really close to us, okay? And we didn't see, like, great democratic rebels. What we saw and what was an increasingly Islamist and jihadi rebels. And so, you know, while Assad's not a great guy, in some ways, Iran's support for Assad was a direct fight against the Islamist elements, including ISIS. So one could argue that once the rebels shifted into the Islamist direction, which happened rather quickly, by the way, um, we were actually allied with Iran, de facto allied with them in our fight against ISIS and the al-Nusra front. We shared enemies. And so, I mean, it, you know, so I don't buy it. I don't buy that that, you know, that supporting Assad, I don't like Assad, but I don't buy that around Iran continuing to support its friend Assad. I don't think that that's a, a causeless belly for a conflict. Danny, the IRGC sent, uh, sent troops into Iraq during the Iraq war and trained insurgent forces and killed American troops do you not think that we need to respond in kind to that kind of action against our country? You know, I mean, going back into the Danny shoes for a minute, I'm not happy about what the IRGC, specifically the Quds Force, did during my time in East Baghdad. I was in Shia East Baghdad, so they killed my soldiers. I mean, January 25th, an EFP, Iranian-designed, Iranian-trained the Shia insurgents to use it, uh, just turned one of my Humvees into Swiss cheese, uh, killed two of my favorite soldiers, and, and, and maimed, uh, maimed two others. I'm not a fan. But now getting back into my Iran shoes, let us not forget that Iran was doing that training defensively because they were scared shit of America. Why would they be scared mm -hmm. shit of America? Well, did you notice that Iran basically has two big bordering states on their west and their east? To their east is Afghanistan. We invaded, occupied that country. Mm -hmm. To their west is Iraq. Ooh, we invaded and occupied that country. They might start feeling a little surrounded because to their south, they just got water, right? And to the north, they've got, you know, uh, Azerbaijan and the Russian republics. They felt squeezed. Why would they feel squeezed? Well, first of all, they get thrown into a fucking axis of evil, <laughs> yeah. right? Iran, Iraq, and North Korea. And like, 
Bush gives the acts of evil speech like sometime in early 02, and like a year later, there is no more Iraq. Okay? So from Iran's perspective, they're like, oh, fuck. Are we next on the list? I mean, and then you got people leaking reports like that, that are all over the media internationally where like senior Bush officials were saying, quote, and you can Google this, uh, everybody wants to go to Baghdad now, but real men want to go to Tehran. Mm -hmm. In other words, the real serious neoconservatives are talking about invading and regime changing Iran. So my argument is, while I don't like the fact that American soldiers died, and in fact, I abhor the fact that American soldiers died, I at least understand the response of Iran and why they might want to keep us bogged down in Iraq. Because if Iraq went swimmingly, Iran fucking Iran might have been the next target. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, that was on the plans for a while. So, and, yeah, and, I and mean, it makes sense why they'd be scared. Something something that I, I touched on it a little bit earlier, but the the alpha male desire of, you know, we... We, we fight in Baghdad, real men go to Tehran. I, I remembered that scene from Saving Private Ryan where the platoon sergeant, uh, well, the guy who played by Tom Sizemore, after they had made it up the beach in the beginning of the movie that he had in his rucksack um, those little tins that had the names of, it was dirt from different countries. And people don't understand that, that guys in the service tick off shit like that, just like he did. And they don't realize, you know, I was thinking about that a little bit differently, is that, okay, he fought in North Africa. That means the U.S. military went and fucked up North Africa. He fought in Italy, you know, and, and, and I'm, I'm speaking about World War II, a very different conflict. But I, I think it's important that, we under, that people understand that desire coming from a military standpoint. Absolutely. You know, all the original cheering and adulation of the Iraq invasion because you know it went pretty well initially right as initially, it does yeah. when you fight against when you fight against countries that use 1970s Soviet equipment in the open desert and they are they've been starved by sanctions for 12 years it's pretty it's pretty easy to roll over that 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 conventional force not so easy to actually hold the country right or to tamp down the the insurgents but yeah I mean there, there absolutely is a military momentum that 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 grows and so because it seemed easy to get to baghdad it's a lot harder to get out easy to get in hard to get out but when, after it was easy to get in we started thinking well the military starts thinking too like right, who's next man give us another target we fucked up saddam let's go after the ayatollah you know and uh it, it's it's wild it's wild also, anyway like do you guys have any others or go ahead oh militarily iran has a much stronger chain of command and a much like more robust structure than Iraq did. Uh, and, I mean, you're forgetting like the RGC has, is like basically its own military. You know, it has its own air force, its own Navy. And to say that we could just go in and it would be like Iraq where a bunch of people who weren't really, who didn't want to be there in the first place would, uh, would like just throw down their weapons like they did in Iraq. No. That's totally not going to happen because they're very proud of their land. And there's a lot of people who, you know, they have discipline and training in what they do. So uh, it's just so dumb. You know, I, I think we've kind of, I think we've kind of run the course of the game. So I, 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 on some final notes, I want to comment on what you said, okay, again, which is diplomacy is the better option for a number of reasons. 
The main one is that there is a very youthful population in Iran that's actually very pro-Western. There is a strong is youth. under like 35. Right. And a lot of those 75% are actually not happy with the theocracy. They're actually not happy with their country, and they want to westernize. I mean, there was the Green Movement in, what, 2009, I mean, yeah. you know, which was like a precursor to the Arab Spring, and they almost got a, a, a more democratic guy elected. The last thing we want to do is alienate those people. And the fastest way to get those young people to rally around the Iranian flag is to attack Iran. Because when, you get, when a country gets attacked, Democrats and Republicans stopped fighting. Okay, remember World War II? Mm -hmm. Democrats and Republicans were like banding together. We were attacked by the fucking Japanese. Like it's time to put partisan issues aside. Yeah, I may not like the president because I'm a Republican and he's a Democrat, but I will rally around the American flag for the four years it takes to beat the Germans, right? And the Japanese. That's what would happen. You're right. There are fiercely nationalistic people, fiercely, historically fiercely nationalistic people. The last fucking thing that we should be doing is alienating the Iranian population. Because while the ruling class is corrupt and theocratic, and I'm not a fan either, the people are much more nuanced and much more modern and much more pro-Western than we often think. The mullahs who run Iran are not invincible. The most likely scenario of regime change will come, God willing, internally, and there will be an Iranian solution to an Iranian problem without American meddling, which we've learned over the last 18 years of war that American meddling tends to be ultimately, what? Counterproductive. Amen. And it, it's extremely destabilizing for the entire region. Absolutely. Oh, what a mess it would be. We're on Twitter at Fortress on a Hill and also at Facebook.com at Fortress on a Hill. You can find our main blog page and our full collection of episodes at www.fortressonahill.com. iTunes, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Patreon, Spotify. You name it, almost anywhere you listen, we're already waiting for you. And hey, we're always in the market for more Patreon supporters. Please consider becoming a patron at patreon.com. And if you're not into giving us a monthly payment, think about giving us a couple bucks on PayPal. The link is in the show notes. Skepticism is one's best armor. Never forget it. We'll see you next time. And listen to my songs.